and welcome to the very first episode of this new podcast series, What's in a Wave. I'm your host, Angus Lowe, and today I want to show you guys this discussion slash interview that I had with one of the professors here at the University of Edinburgh, Dr. Roman Zwicky. Dr. Zwicky works in the School of Physics and Astronomy as a particle physicist who specializes in gauge theories and flavor physics. Uh, don't worry, we won't get into the details of these subject areas as they are a little bit inaccessible to people who aren't studying physics and I understand very little of it myself but we do provide a, a sort of cursory overview of some fundamental ideas in, in in the field of physics and I certainly learned a lot from my discussion with him uh, we covered things like what energy is or how physicists define energy which I think is is poorly covered in the high school renditions of this topic uh, and we go from that to where he sees the the field of particle physics in the near future and beyond, and what some open problems are for any uh, potential physics students of the future to look into. Uh, towards the end of the discussion, he actually uh, gives some advice to any prospective physicists doing their undergraduate degrees, or even earlier than that, if you're in high school looking to get into the field, he gives you, uh, I think he imparts some wisdom, which he has a, a great deal of to impart, uh, as to how to get to where he is and sort of uh, make your way through the journey towards becoming a physicist. Now, without any further ado, I hope you enjoy this interview with Dr. Roman Zwicky. So I have here with me uh, Dr. Zwicky from the School of Physics and Astronomy at the University of Edinburgh. Now, before we get into a, a few of the more technical details, or uh, we discuss some of the actual physics uh, that we wanted to talk about. I was hoping to get a little bit about uh, your background and uh, what attracted you to, to particle physics in the first place. Uh, Dr. Svicky. Hello, everybody. Uh, so I, I grew up in, in Switzerland, in, in Basel, and I guess I was always into uh, problem solving and into crafting. And uh, um, after, after high school, I did read um, a book on special relativity uh, for, written by Einstein for, for, for kind of almost laymen. Uh, I think I understood a great deal. There was a good, good amount of fascination. But still, I was more into, into the idea of, of engineering. And I eventually went to um, uh, an engineering school, to the Federal Institute of Technology in Lausanne, a French-speaking place. And, uh, but... Uh, to my surprise, the, the courses were much more interesting than I anticipated, much more interesting than high school, and I was really getting into the, the math and uh, problem solving, and it was just great. And also something else happened that I, I picked up on, on the final lectures, and I, I read them, and I really loved them, and I grew into the idea of becoming a physicist. So then after one year, I changed my major. I went directly into physics. And uh, then I uh, went uh, a year abroad to uh, Carnegie Mellon in the US. And this was certainly a good, a good experience. Uh, I got to know a very different uh, style of physics, sort of a more, a more intuitive way in, in, into physics, I would say. And uh, the summer after I traveled the US, that was great. And then I still found some time to, uh, to go to an inst uh, a place which is called uh, the Paul Scher Institute in Switzerland where they do uh, experiments. And I was a summer student there and I did uh, an experiment on muonic atoms. Uh, we did the experiments from the start, all the statistical analysis and the writing writing of, uh, of a report, and that was great. 
And that was my first real exposure to, to particle physics. I guess I got into contacts with real researchers and I, I learned about particle physics. And then I continued um, at ETH Zurich. I finished my degree there, but for two more years, that was a lot more uh, mathematical. I studied a lot of cosmology, but uh, I got very much into the idea of quantum field theory. I really loved it. And eventually I just went uh, to do my uh, diploma work there and uh, I started my, uh, my um, a PhD um, yeah, at the University of Zurich and, and CERN on, on particle physics. Uh, also, very quickly, uh, Dr. Zvicky, what's the favorite part about uh, what you do? What would you say is your favorite part? Well, my, the, the favorite part is pretty much the favorite part of, of, of any physicist. And I guess this is having, having the idea, having the moment of sort of being illumination and uh, having the idea, sort of having uh, also the, almost this instant confidence that it's going to be, be true and then to conceptualize it, uh, to run to the library, to get the book. That is eventually going to help me to uh, to show that whether it's right or not, and uh, um, I think I enjoy this part uh, very much. Um, you, especially if you sort of contrast it with the the part of of actually writing up the idea, which also takes a, a significant uh, amount of time. I think everybody uh, finds doing the actual research and and, and confirming it uh, much more enjoyable. That's really the best part. All right, so the next question I had was a little bit more technical relating to a very fundamental concept in, in physics, and, and that is energy, which is something that everyone's heard about, even if, if they don't study physics, uh, any lay person on the street. But I was hoping to get more of a, a precise definition on how physicists um, see energy. Because as an undergraduate student, I remember in, in high school physics, we're told that energy is the ability to do work while work is defined as, as the change in energy, and this seems like a bit of a circular definition. And I was hoping for a little bit of clarification or uh, a hint as to how physicists concretely define uh, energy, or if they do at all. Good. Okay, so energy, it's, it's not an easy question, indeed. So energy is certainly a, a conserved quantity, and, and the reason it is conserved is because um, uh, there's symmetry in time, because the, the laws of physics are symmetric in, in, in time. Uh, now, there are lots of, of footnotes one, one, one can add, but let's just begin uh, by uh, sort of a s simple setup. So I, I think it is uh, beneficial to look at it from the relativistic viewpoint. So the, the, the Einstein special relativity, where energy, momentum come in one package. And uh, so let's discuss momentum conservation. Already Galilei understood that um, classically, if you have a, a massive body, let's just say a, a ball or something like that, and uh, in empty space and you give it some momentum, it will go on forever in the same direction. And the reason it goes on forever is because there is symmetry in space. The sp uh, space is the same here as it is a thousand kilometers away if space is empty. And uh, you can now change uh, uh, this setup by, uh, for instance, uh, having a, a brick wall somewhere. Okay, and then the, the ball will fly towards the brick wall, will hit the brick wall, and the momentum will drastically change in the other direction. Now, from the viewpoint of the ball, space is not symmetric anymore because there was the wall. But from the viewpoint of the entire system, um, 
momentum is again conserved because the wall is going to get a momentum transfer from the ball, um, which exactly compensates such that uh, momentum uh, is, is conserved. So it preserves that symmetry in, in space. In space, yes, yes. Uh, so total, that, and, and, and that's probably the, the most, most crucial thing you can say. It's always total momentum and total energy, which is conserved. So if you think it's violated, then it's only because you've always looked at the sub part of, of the process. And if you, if you begin to study, for example, uh, as a physics student, uh, classical mechanics, in terms of you can Lagrangian or more Newtonian uh, uh, dynamics, you will see in every process, energy and momentum is conserved and you can really trace that mm -hmm. and if it seems like they're not then you just haven't expanded your system exactly where that energy has, has gone or yeah for for example we can we can uh, put in uh, the notion of friction mm -hmm. but that's only kind of an imprecise notion because we kind of parameterize the very complex process of uh, all that you know friction has to do with heat transfer we just parameterize it uh, uh, with a term, actually, which is not symmetric in time. But that's just because we don't look at the entire system. It just appears to, to uh, not conserve um, uh, kinetic energy. So but it's not true. Conservation of energy seems to be like a really fundamental part of physics. But Absolutely. You're, you're that at a microscopic level, there are some things that seem to violate that. Oh, yeah, there's, uh, there's, 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 uh, no, there's, there's a few more uh, in, uh, important footnotes. First of all, there is kind of, uh, when we say that there is absolute symmetry in time, then people look at the universe and say, well, it's only going one way. And this has to do with entropy. Entropy um, always increases. This seems to be a law of the universe, not a law of necessarily... Uh, microscopic physics so explained in other words um, like if we have uh, let's say uh, this cup here uh, if it on my desk and it, it falls down it will possibly break or not and um, it wouldn't spontaneously come back together yes not as probabilistic thing. yes as Feynman says not in a million years but it could but uh, so the reason the reason we, we, we observe it in one way in one direction this 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 this, um, this symmetry is that we start in a very symmetric state so this cup is is nicely put together and uh, when it's on the floor it is is it a million well thousands of pieces and it's a very asymmetric state so so there's uh, and the same for the universe we started well we, that's the the basic theory we sort of started in a kind of big bang. And uh, the universe is expanding into a much less organized uh, uh, state, uh, which which has higher entropy, and that's the 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 arrow of time. So that's it's more like a pragmatic thing. So in terms of differential equations, it's just like you have a very very specific very specific uh, initial conditions mm -hmm. that make it look like there's an arrow of time. Well, and pragmatically or in, in does, practice, does entropy almost define an arrow? which is already there uh, if, if you understand uh, what I'm trying you to can say. probably say entropy uh, defines an arrow of time mm -hmm. I think this 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 uh, makes sense yes yes you can um, and then there is yet at a uh, microscopically very very microscopically mm -hmm. 
it has been found in the 60s that certain uh, forces are not completely symmetric with respect to time. But those forces... But energy is still conserved, right? Yes, energy is still conserved, totally. No, no, this is nothing to do um, with... Um, this is more related to matter and antimatter. Okay. So, um, which is... Like, what, what, why is there more matter than antimatter in the universe? And the fundamental reason in, in physics uh, must be that uh, um, there is violation of charge parity, which is equivalent to sort of time uh, reversal. At, at a very global level, um, the laws of physics are still time invariant, but in sub-processes, it can appear that uh, a particle decays more frequently than its antiparticle. And this can lead at, at the level of the universe to the asymmetry in, in matter and antimatter, which we, which we observe. So energy is not, is not the most, uh, not, not the easiest quantity to discuss. Maybe we can briefly discuss um, uh, another quantity, which, which is charge, for example, the electric charge. So if you write down the interactions of um, electrodynamics, you see that you can redefine all fields by uh, by a complex phase. This um, is you know in, in, in the Lagrangian, and then there's something associated to it by by Noether's theorem, which is a current, and this current is indeed the electric current. And so th those are the rules. If you have the interactions, and you find a way, you can redefine them to make it look the same. This will give you a quantity which is conserved. And so the, the, same, the same applies to, to, uh, to energy and, and, and momentum. You can, you can do a, a translation in, in time and in space, and this gives you conservation of energy and momentum. So if I have this right, then different symmetries in, in certain physical qualities like time or, or space correspond to, to conserved quantities. So for example, uh, a, a symmetry in, in space corresponds to a conserved conservation of momentum. Yes, absolutely. So a, a symmetry in time corresponds to a conservation in energy. Yes. And that's how physicists would define at a fundamental level. Yes, absolutely. Quantities. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's very, it's very, it's in a way, the idea is very simple and very beautiful. And once you actually see it, you know, technically on the level of these Lagrangians and so on, it becomes very, becomes very, very clear. I feel like we're almost hitting bedrock here at <laughs> how physics work and the universe works like at a very, very uh, fundamental mm -hmm. level. So this is good. Very good. All right. So then the next question I have is a little bit more overarching, uh, a little bit of a broad question uh, in that I'm, I'm curious as to whether or not we're approaching the limits of physics in terms of what can be tested experimentally, uh, particularly in, in your field, but also, like I guess, at a large scale as well, not just in particle physics, um, cosmologically, um, whether that's becoming harder or if we're actually approaching a stage where we can no longer test things or verify things experimentally. And w what's your opinion on that, uh, Dr. Zwicky? I mean, in short, it's it's certainly true that uh, the effort it takes nowadays is, is is a much bigger effort. It's not just people who can do uh, um, some experiments in, in their labs and and have um, answered very very fundamental questions, um, but there has there has been you know since quite a few years people have been saying oh um, 
progress has been slowing down. But if I actually look back when I was um, just uh, uh, finishing my studies, becoming a grad student, I can at least remember now four very, very fundamental dis discoveries. Now, uh, first, I think it was the, the cosmological constant, which uh, became non-zero. That, that was but recent, right? 98. Mm. Um, and that's and the Nobel, Nobel Prize is very recent for it. Yes, yes. And then there, there are various, you know, uh, um, ways to measure it. And uh, now there are several ways to measure it. And it's now beyond doubt. And, and quickly, that relates to cosmology and, and the, the big picture of the, of the universe, right? Yes, yes, that, that gives uh, gravitation uh, uh, um, um, a repulsive um, uh, mode at, at, at large distances. Mm -hmm. So basically, um, the idea is sort of coming back to, to the Lagrangian is that uh, the Einstein Lagrangian is, is a Lagrangian in, invariant under, under coordinate uh, reparameterization. And the simplest invariant you can actually write down is, 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 is one. It's like just something that does not depend on anything, then that's the cosmological constant. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, it has to be there in a way almost, and it would have been a miracle if it was zero. Uh, anyway, and, and, and many, many, many uh, processes in particle physics uh, um, uh, contribute to it. Actually, now, if you just want to open a little bit uh, a, a footnote here, is that uh, predictions in particle physics for the cosmological constant are an absolute disaster. and. Uh, um, they're, they're, they're too high by orders of magnitude. And Currently? This, yes. And so this is a completely open problem. We have, we, uh, we, have no, uh, we have no idea how to solve it. In general, reconciling the physics of large systems and the physics of, uh, at a microscopic level is an open problem. I think it, that's right? a good way to phrase it. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Quantum yes. mechanics and general yes. relativity. Yes. And there are more. I mean, there, uh, we, can, we can now just discussing briefly what has been discovered. And then the neutrino masses. Mm. Amazing. And that's important. Recent that's recent. That's I think that maybe it's two thousand one. Not quite sure. I remember it still when one of the professors in, in Zurich was running around and uh, just all excited about it. Just when when it came out from the experiment, and that's important because it all this also opens up the possibility of uh, of um, charge parity violation in the lepton sector. Only if you have, have mass, you can have it. Which is what we were talking about earlier. In the yes, ind part. indeed, and and can can be a solution of the matter antimatter, antimatter paradox, uh, paradox yes if you wish which is another open problem and uh, recently of course uh, in 2012 most importantly for edinburgh the discovery of the higgs boson absolutely major and uh, which now even poses new problems actually or puzzles mm -hmm. uh, because it appears that uh, the universe is is metastable this is not understood what, what does metastable mean um if you have a, a, a vacuum, a minimum, then there might be other minima far away, which might be, and, and uh, which are lower. But then there is a barrier, and there's always a tunnel probability in quantum mechanics. Mm -hmm. And they can either you can come to the conclusion that the tunneling probability is essentially zero, or essentially 100%, or just in between. And we're just in between. Uh, this is a another very nice puzzle and uh, well just I think uh, last year last year gravitational waves amazing and uh, you know it's even gravitational waves is a topic that the contemporaries of, of, of Einstein have, have struggled to uh, to establish theoretically um, it's only ideas basically maybe ideas is fair to say ideas from particle physics uh, on gauge invariants that have helped people then in, in the 60s 
resolve 5060s to, to understand uh, that uh, gravitational waves were real. Really? Theoretically, through yes. Particle physics. Well, through the principle of gauge invariance. I think the, the, the problem uh, the contemporaries of Einstein had was that uh, uh, because you can go to different coordinate systems and energy and, and momentum change in, in, in general relativity, then they were not quite sure whether this energy transmission was real or not. They're just mm -hmm. a, 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 you know, a, an illusion of, of the coordinate system. But then in, in particle physics, we have these principles of, of gauge invariance, which are, which are very, very much at the foundation. And, and then they, when they were applied also in general relativity, then people established that there must be gravitational waves. And this opened, you know, then the possibility for the experimental search. You wouldn't search for something experimentally if the theorist tells you it's, it's not real. Mm -hmm. Yes. So there, there are many, many things happening and many open problems. There are also the, 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 uh, the issue of, of dark matter. That, uh, I mean, basically, so uh, in, in summary, the, the total energy of the universe is sort of 4% um, is of what we know, the baryons, protons and nucleons, mm -hmm. ourselves. There is about 20% uh, or so of dark matter, and the rest is the cosmological constant, which is called dark energy. And for the latter two, we have no uh, convincing explanation. Well, we yet. have various forms of evidence, like uh, gravitational lensing, for, for example. Dark matter, yes, yeah, dark, dark matter. matter. Yes. Like, that's how we know it exists in the first place, and other evidence, like the, the spiraling of galaxies. Yes, yes. We just and don't even know what it is. Since I was a student, there were also two competing you know, branches of explanation, and either it's matter, so it's dark matter, mm -hmm. or the laws of gravitation are modified at some distance and uh, now there's more and more evidence experimental evidence that it's actually dark matter mm -hmm. but we haven't really found dark matter yet in an experimental lab but, but there are many experiments all, all around the world which are looking looking for dark matter i guess this is a nice segue into the question are you by any chance related to the father of dark matter <laughs> uh dr vicky the other doctors uh slightly so um, it's not clear to what degree, but we, we do come from the same village. But what, what it, in, in Switzerland, but what is probably more relevant is that my, um, my grandfathers and so on were in contact with him. And so they knew about him. And mm -hmm. when I was a teenager, I was given a book by uh, Fritz Zwicky. They sort of said, OK, we, we have a physicist in the family and a book. Well, OK, <laughs> so why don't you read this book? So I read this book and uh, it was actually not, not really about physics, about morphological thinking. It certainly had a, a certain, yeah, a certain good influence on me, but it didn't, it didn't convince me to do physics yet. I still no. wanted to do uh, engineering. Okay. <laughs> All right, so approaching the end of this little interview, um, just wanted to get an idea of some of the open problems that exist within physics, both theoretically and experimentally in, in the field, and if uh, there are numerous open problems within this field for any young physicist looking to get into the field to look forward to. Yes, I mean, there are, there are I think, a, a, a lot of open problems in, in the field. Uh, for example, uh, as we were talking before, dark matter. The detection of dark matter is certainly an, an experimental problem, and uh, or it's also a problem for theorists to suggest uh, the right kind of experiment, it's, uh, the, the right kind of uh, maybe energy domain. But ultimately, it will be uh, some experiment will, will measure dark matter, and, and then uh, 
the theorist will build the theory and, and then from, from there it will go and will, will generate an entire uh, new field. And there's the problem of, uh, so the, the baryogenesis, uh, the, the matter-antimatter uh, so symmetry. It, it ranges all the way from the largest of scales to, to the smallest. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, uh, actually, I think this is quite non 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 trivial, mm -hmm. and it has to do with the the, the evolution of, of the universe. But um, it's already uh, quite <coughs> an achievement that, that there is a mechanism in the standard model. It's absolutely non trivial that can actually generate uh, an asymmetry uh, between matter and antimatter in the universe. The only problem it fails by uh, several orders of magnitude, mm -hmm. and therefore. That's CP violation, charge parity violation, yes, uh, which is related to time violation by something which is called the CPT theorem. And this is an open problem, why it's orders of magnitude off. Yes, 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 it could, could uh, and this involves, uh, yeah, also that the Higgs has given input in, into that mm -hmm. as well, but um, and that this is a reason to look for more charge parity violation, which, for example, we do in, in so-called flavor physics and there's just an experiment uh, starting a new experiment starting in japan next year called bell 2 mm -hmm. uh, which will shed some new light on on, on different corners and um, of course there are in, in cosmology is now it's now a, a flourishing field and uh, uh, sometimes uh, inflation is sold already as as, as, as a definite theory but uh, maybe there are many competitors and uh, People, young cosmologists, can think about other ways to, to, to approach it. And are you confident that these are all verifiable theories that can be tested experimentally so they fall into the domain of, of physics as opposed to mathematics? Uh, cosmology, yeah, I think so, yes, yes. So it's, it's non-trivial, yes. They have to, they have to extract some... Uh, well, that's exactly, that's exactly the point. That, that some people said, okay, uh, inflation looks quite, um, quite like a nice theory, gives... Uh, some evidence that it could be true but actually i found this other way of describing it and this gives me the same predictions and now we have to find a way to distinguish the inflation theory from from the new model and then uh, people have to think of new measurements of new consequences of their theories that's quite a it's quite a, a an active field and then even just within within theory now if we look at the the theory with strong interactions so so-called qcd it's coming back down to a really yes small to the really small scales now if you look at the the proton uh, initially we thought that the proton is a, is a fundamental particle now we know it's it's made out of three quarks smaller subparticles but uh, we don't have a really um, nice convincing theoretical explanation of why this happens we know why it happens we have qualitative ideas and we are able to put qcd um, on a so-called lattice we can we can simulate it numerically by approximating space-time by points mm -hmm. sorry you mentioned qcd which is quantum chromodynamics, quantum chromodynamics the strong basically the nuclear force mm -hmm. uh, we can we can we can approach it so in, in a so-called non-perturbative way in, in, in a fully satisfactory way numerically mm -hmm. but ultimately we want to have a, a theoretical explanation that's a completely open problem quantum, of course quantum electrodynamics is quite sound already right quantum electrodynamics has a big advantage that uh, the coupling constant is uh, small and so you well, can what do is the coupling constant in in in, in quantum electrodynamics yeah. that's uh, oh the fine structure constant mm -hmm. which is small 
It's the one over one hundred thirty-seven. Oh, that's what we were. If you uh, yeah, if you expand uh, in this parameter, we have a very uh, nicely converging series. This also QED is one of the so quantum electrodynamics is one of the most precise theories in nature. It is uh, very fine, I think, to the eleventh digit in certain in certain quantities. So you can really compute, and they compute up to fourth, fifth order. And it's Feynman uh, played a huge role in. in absolutely, theory, right? absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Feynman and others showed that uh, quantum electrodynamics uh, makes sense. In, in, in the sense that you don't have to introduce many parameters, but you basically you just have the coupling constant and uh, mass of the electron and okay, mass of the muon. So you have a very limited number of, uh, of parameters, and this goes under the name of renormalization. So that's QED and QCD, what we were talking about previously. It has uh, a little bit more of an open problem in it, I guess. Uh, no, not, consi I mean, only the same. It's, it's extremely well defined, actually, to, to, to be. Uh, Ironically, QCD is better defined than QED in a, in oh, a certain okay. in a certain philosophical way, almost. But uh, but but uh, I think every you know because the coupling constant is small, you can address any any physics question quantitatively. You just compute, and you get an answer. And QED is correct, so you get the correct answer. Uh, whereas in QCD, uh, the coupling constant gets uh, is very small at. Um, at uh, small distances, but when you go to large distances, and this way of talking, the, the scale of a, of a proton is already a large distance, mm -hmm. almost, uh, then the coupling constant becomes small, and uh, the, gre the degrees of freedom change. And, uh, the coupling constant becomes smaller or large when it gets close? Uh, the coupling constant becomes large when you go to large distances. Okay. Yeah. This is kind of counterintuitive. You would you'd expect now let me say so in, in QED it's the other way around you have a, a a charge over there and if you if you approach this charge you get a the coupling constant effectively becomes strong and strong and that's I think what that's what you would expect naively mm -hmm. now in QCD it's just the opposite you are you have two charges close together the coupling constant is weak and now you try to separate and the coupling constant becomes stronger and stronger and stronger so that you actually you cannot separate or you can only separate in in, in a certain way uh, and this is quite quite counterintuitive and uh, uh, also actually leads to to the Nobel Prize it's called asymptotic freedom in 2004 and uh, so this this so this the coupling constant becoming stronger certainly is an indication of confinement but it's not it's not uh, it's not a definite uh, explanation mm -hmm. so and also the the problem of, of chiral symmetry breaking of, of the uh, asymmetry between the left and right handedness is, is is an open problem it's just we, we know it happens uh, we have the because it has consequences in the particle spectrum but we have no theoretical explanation uh, these problems are, are very hard and, and no sane supervisor nowadays will give uh, a student this is a research topic it's just too hard but uh, hopefully one day uh, a new idea will emerge and some people are still working in it and we'll have an idea mm -hmm. and uh, this is just one of many open problems yes yeah, sir there are quite a few yeah there are quite a few so it's, it's far from uh, from uh, a really finished science I would say. some new ideas are, are needed yes absolutely that's what Feynman drew inspiration from it at the end of, I believe it was Pauli's book on 
quantum mechanics. All right. Okay. Some new problems are here needed. Uh -huh. Richard Feynman read that and went, okay, okay. I'm, I'm I see. going to yeah. come up with some new ideas. Yes, I need it. Okay, so the final question that I have for you today before uh, I sign off here, is there anything that, that you might want to say to uh, our audience or to young people looking to get into the field of particle physics? So any tips or guidance uh, for the journey from undergraduate student to full-time physicist? Yes, maybe I can uh, sort of talk from, from my uh, own experience. I mean, generally, uh, well, I, I think Angus' question already assumes that you, you have picked up an, an interest in the field and it's sort of to um, expose yourself to it at, at a quite early early stage. Um, for example, there are, there, are, there are, after you've done quantum mechanics and maybe a relativistic formulation of, of, of uh, electrodynamics, it's, it's time to look into so a book. Uh, I guess so. Mm -hmm. Yes, is that, that second and third year? Maybe yes. You can, you can in summer have. Um, I mean, there are books like maybe you can, uh, like the book by David Griffith on on, on elementary particle physics, which I, I, I sort of have a, a German copy here, but it, <laughs> it's originally in English. Yes, of course. Okay, so that's, that's actually. Uh, I just I bought it in in Switzerland. Uh, and uh, the bookshop only had a German copy. Usually, I actually prefer uh, English copies. Uh, absolutely, sure, sure. Yeah, I the original version was written in German. No, 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 This one. There, there are a few other books of the. You know, this has sort of got, for example, a good intermediate level between. It's, it's more, it's, it's more satisfactory than just sort of a few words and 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 pictures. But it definitely doesn't go into the technical two technical details of renormalization although it even touches on it i think it's a very good so i just when i was a summer student uh, in in uh, the paul Scherer institute uh, i read this in the evening and it kind of motivated me and and, and it gave me also motivation for um uh, for all the mathematical tools there are many many mathematical tools and then i, w I went to eth and i was motivated to learn learn about the math and then from my personal experience i can certainly say that uh, i'm uh, much more capable of learning mathematics when I know that when I know that I need it uh, for for physics and I think this is probably uh, the difference between a physicist and, and, and the mathematician. I think that would be true of anyone looking to, to get into physics. Yes, yes it should be. Yes, 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 yes. I mean, I'm very quite interested in math but uh, it is not the same level of, of passion for uh, that I have for physics. And enthusiasm is key. Yes, I, I think if you if you're well, I, it's if you're not enthusiastic about it, don't don't you shouldn't do it. Yeah, I guess Clearly not. Down. That's very general. I think that's a general. I think that's a general advice for life. Yeah. But uh, especially, I think that you uh, you'll be putting in many hours uh, uh, of your life, and uh, uh, so if 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 it's no fun, then uh, it's no good. Obviously. <laughs> Yes, and there needs to be a, needs to be a strong a strong attraction to it. But you can, of course, you can, you can build it up. And uh, mm -hmm. initially, you'll just have a a vague idea what it is about. But I think it's yes, yeah, it's, it's good it's good to look into books. You can it's you can talk helpful. to people. It's Sorry. It's also helpful to look into books because that gives you a preview of what you're going to be learning. Exactly, exactly, and makes it maybe yeah, it gives you a preview, helps you to choose courses mm -hmm. maybe as well, and. Uh, so it's many advantages and uh, you can or just even uh, you can sit not maybe maybe the British system is a bit more rigid in this sense we I just sat in a course 
didn't really follow it 100%, but it just gave me sort of the idea, a quantum field theory course in the third year, of what was all that coming. That you actually in. I think the system was just much different, very different. So basically, we just tried to, to sit in as many courses as we possibly could. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we had first, first two years, we had very big, rigid, hard <laughs> exams. Mm -hmm. And then the third year, there was just three experimental courses. And the fourth year, the final year, then was just, we had to choose eight. So maybe some of them were mandatory and then some were, were choice. But we, I sat like in many, many more than I, 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 I could have examined. Mm -hmm. Yes, so uh, but, uh, maybe this system here is a bit more rigid, I, don't, I, I suppose, I yes. They will allow you to audit some courses. Yeah, I think but so. For example, I'm not taking programming for physics at the University of Edinburgh right yeah. now, but I find that, I think that's kind of key if you want to become yeah. an experimentalist, and they wouldn't give me access <laughs> to some of the materials for that course because I wasn't officially yeah. enrolled in it. So it is a little bit more stringent here in terms of yeah, I think there's the also one fundamental uh, difference is that you have the exams quite immediately after uh, the the lectures, and whereas in other places uh, we had all summer or we needed all summer <laughs> to actually <laughs> to actually prepare for the exam. So it didn't really matter if you followed one course at a lower flame. It was not so pleasant, but you could then work on it in summer. Yes. Okay. Thank you very much for uh, the advice you have for students and for taking the time yes. to, to discuss all of the topics that we had today mm -hmm. for the show. It has been uh, a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs>